0: Good to see you Uh, in person, of course, and always online. You know, we do try to make a point to go back each week and to see who you are online so that as we're up here, we can kind of picture you in our mind's eyes. We just don't ever want you to forget that we so appreciate your presence with us, even though you're not in this room. So um, good job to everybody getting here uh, on time, right? Nobody likes this day, <laughs> but it is the Lord's day, and so we have reason to rejoice, even if we're a little tired. Amen. So last week, we started a sermon series on Psalm 51 that is gonna guide us through the season of Lent and take us all the way to Easter Sunday morning. So by the end of this sermon, I hope that we have three things, at least three things, we can have more, but at least three things cemented on our hearts. First, repentance, a deep sorrow and brokenness over our sin, turning away from it and to God it's for all of us, all the time. It's to be a lifestyle. Second, repentance and forgiveness are meant to walk in tandem with one another. Right? We're, we're, we, in order to get deep and lasting healing within and for relationships to be restored, repentance and forgiveness have got to go together. And third, true repentance leads to joy, freedom, and gladness of heart. Repentance is a gift to be celebrated. Everybody gets blessed and God gets glory when we all take repentance personally and seriously, day by day by day. God's mercy is abundant. His love is steadfast forever. Before we get into it this morning, let's pray. Father in heaven, what we know not, we ask that you would teach us. What we are not by the power of your Holy Spirit, make us. And what we have not, Lord, we ask that you would grant to us. It's for Jesus' sake and in his name that we pray. Amen. So one of the things that we want to be sure to do throughout this series, actually, is read the entirety of Psalm 51 every week. We believe that we need to see and be reminded of the full spectrum of of repentance, to see how and where it starts, to what and where it leads. So it really is an incredible gift of grace. And with that in mind, let's get to it. Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So we learned last week that King David penned this psalm. After being confronted by God through the prophet Nathan. Adultery, murder, egregious abuse against his office as king of Israel. We don't know exactly how long it was from the time that David, David got Bathsheba pregnant and had Uriah killed to the day that Nathan confronted him about it. But see if you can identify with this. When you've sinned and you know you've sinned, You may, like David, do everything you can to cover it up. You want to forget about it. You just want to run from it as fast and as far as you can, right? That's what I want to do. Because it's really hard to admit that darkness still resides in me and that it comes out in all sorts of ugly, harmful, and hurtful ways. So I want to run. I want to hide. But hiding in darkness and sin is exhausting. Pretending is exhausting. It's like you're desperate to hide, but it's slowly sucking the life out of you. When Nathan confronted David, though it was no doubt terribly painful to have his sin exposed, I believe it was also a relief. Right? Finally, David's sin was out in the open and he was broken before the Lord. After that conversation with Nathan, it's quite possible that David continued to sit in that brokenness for a while, not in a defeatist, dejected kind of way, but in an honest, deeply revealing, humble kind of way, in a way that allowed God to do a deep work in him. That's part of repentance. Listen to what David recognized, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. First of all, and this is funny, it's gonna get confusing. Our David (laughs) reminded us last week that King David... Owns his sin here. He doesn't try to defend himself. He doesn't try to sidestep it. He doesn't shift the blame. He is finally and brutally honest about it. And he owns it. It's mine. He knew they were his transgressions. When David laid it all out, I'm sorry, when Nathan laid it all out for David, what he did, what the consequences were going to be, and they were going to be huge, David agreed immediately I have sinned against the Lord. You know, we have to remember that David was a man just like us. We can't venerate him or make him out to be some super spiritual hero. He was messed up. So am I. So are you. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. By the time David wrote this prayer, he still couldn't get what he had done out of his head. It was ever before him. But what he's saying here goes deeper. Yes, those moments, those decisions to commit adultery and murder were ever before him. But deeper still was David's realization that his sin was far more than just his behavior. It was in him. David was coming to terms with his total depravity. I know it's not a very light or feel-good topic, but the Bible addresses it over and over again. So clearly, it's an important doctrine for us to understand. But before we can understand the doctrine of total depravity, we need to first understand the doctrine of original sin. And some people assume that the term original sin must refer to the first sin or the original sin of Adam and Eve. But that's not what original sin has referred to historically in the church. Rather, the doctrine of original sin defines the consequences that came to the entire human race because of Adam's, Adam and Eve's sin. First, we are born already guilty before God and deserving his wrath. Paul actually spells that out really well in Ephesians chapter 2, if you want to go home and read that this afternoon. And second, we are born with a sin nature. That is the doctrine of total depravity. And total depravity means that every single part of every single one of us, our minds, our bodies, our hearts, our souls, they've been corrupted by sin. In other words, sin affects the entirety of who we are and what we do. We cannot escape it. It penetrates to the very core of our being so that everything is tainted by sin and all our righteous acts are as filthy rags before a holy God. The Bible teaches that we sin because we are sinners by nature. That's what David understood here. His sin was ever before him. It wasn't just about what he did. He knew he wasn't a sinner because he sinned. He sinned because he was a sinner. There's a difference in that. He didn't sin. He wasn't a sinner because he sinned. He sinned because he was a sinner. It was in him. It's a matter of our hearts long before it ever works itself out in our behavior. David goes on to pray, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's important to understand that David is not minimizing the wretched things he did against Bathsheba and Uriah and against the whole nation of Israel as their king when he wrote this. He had clearly done all of those things, but it was the violation of God's law that grieved David the most. If I go out and I steal from my neighbor, I have wronged my neighbor for sure, and that is grievous. But it's ultimately the authorities with whom I'm most seriously going to have to contend, right? I've wronged my neighbor, but I've ultimately broken the law, which was meant to protect my neighbor, and I'm going to have to pay. (laughs) God hates sin because it harms us and the people around us, but more than that, he hates it. Because it is the antithesis of his very nature and utterly counter to his law, to the boundaries that he has established. Last week, our David helped us parcel out some significant nuances between transgression, iniquity, and sin, which King David references all throughout the first six verses of this psalm. Transgression carries with it the idea of rebellion or betrayal. It's a willful, self-assertive defiance of God stepping over those boundaries that he has established. Iniquity describes a twisting or a bending of the truth that produces guilt. It cannot be excused or condoned. To sin means that we miss the mark of truth. Really, really close doesn't count. And sin carries with it punishment, and it requires sacrifice to atone for it. It's the word that's most frequently used in Scripture to describe what separates us from God, and that is the key here. Transgression, iniquity, sin, they're all bound up together, and they are first and foremost offenses against God. They are a violation of his nature, a breaking of his law, and they get in the way that we In the way of the relationship that we're meant to have with him. If we never go any further than the horizontal dimension of sin's fallout, how it affects you and me and our relationships and life here, then we don't even begin to get it. It is first and foremost a sin against God every single time. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Part of repentance, no matter how hard it might be, no matter how painful or embarrassing, even though we may be terribly ashamed, we've got to be brutally honest, and we must despise it as much as God does, that it's egregious no matter what it is. It's offensive. It is destructive. It is evil. Evil is a shocking word. It's anything that contradicts the holy nature of God. And as we've seen, it can be committed against one another and it's committed against God. Jesus helps us understand the effects of evil When he taught in Mark chapter 7 that it's what's in us. It's what comes out of our hearts that leads to, as Jesus says, evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils, Jesus says, come from inside a man and make a man unclean. David ticked off quite a few of those boxes, didn't he? But did you ever notice that we tend to use the word "evil" to describe other people's sin, but not our own? What David did—that was evil. What Adolf Hitler, Joseph, Joseph Stalin did—that was evil. Sex trafficking is evil. Evil. Sex trafficking is evil. Abuse is evil. Betrayal is evil. My pride. Well, that's that's just a weakness of mine in a couple areas of life. My explosive anger—I mean, I I struggle with it every once in a while. My greed—it's just misplaced desire. My gossip—is simply genuine concern. No. We need to call our sin what it is. It is evil. My pride and my selfishness is evil. My ingratitude for all that God has done for me is evil. My envy, my gluttony, it's evil. My critical self-righteous attitude is evil. My sin is evil and so is yours. I know that that is a bitter pill to swallow, but swallow it we must. Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan author, once wrote that until sin is bitter... Christ will not be sweet. David tastes the bitterness, the vileness of his sin and we must as well if we are ever going to taste the sweetness of God's forgiveness and grace in Christ. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. A few weeks ago, our David shared this quote, and I believe it fits here. He said, this is God's universe, and God does things his way. You may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. (laughs) God is the creator and sustainer of the universe we have been allowed to live in. God holds ultimate and supreme authority over all things all people forever. God defines what is true, holy, righteous, and just. In the arrogance and the foolishness of his sin, David was, in essence, ousting God from his throne in his universe and placing himself there instead. In his repentance, he admits that God would be perfectly just and right. In punishing him for doing so. That's what David deserved. What he had done was wrong. It was evil. David sinned against the one and only only holy and righteous God. And judgment would be a just response. And that's why he started his prayer the way that he did. Have mercy on me. If you were here last week, you'll recall that David talked about how King David's appeal was to mercy the person and not just mercy the act. The next couple of verses make it even clearer that King David sought the one who is mercy because he recognized he was one who as a person needed mercy through and through. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So, do you see it there again? We can't escape it. Original sin, total depravity. We are born in it. David affirmed that he was brought forth in iniquity. In In sin, his mother conceived him. He wasn't saying that it was wrong or sinful for his mother to have kids. He wasn't saying that he had somehow done something evil before he was even born. He was acknowledging the human condition. It was how his parents were born. It was how he was born. It was how his kids were born. It is how you and I were born. We're born with fallen human natures, separated from God and unable to do anything about it on our own total depravity. But there's one more aspect of total depravity that is often misunderstood. So so listen carefully. Total depravity does not mean that every human being is as wicked or as sinful as he could possibly be. That's not what total depravity means. Nor does it mean that we are without a conscience or any sense of right and wrong. Being totally depraved doesn't mean that we don't or can't do good things from a human perspective measured against a human standard. It doesn't even mean that we can't do things that seem to conform outwardly to the law of God. What the Bible teaches and what total depravity recognizes is that even the good things that we do are tainted by sin because they're not done for the glory of God and out of faith in Him. We look at our outward behavior, and if it looks good, then we call it good. But we learned in the Sermon on the Mount, remember, the whole way through, God doesn't just look at our outward behavior. He looks at the motives of our hearts And since we're born already in rebellion against God, even those deeds that we do that are good are like filthy rags before him. They do not and they cannot bring him glory because they're ultimately motivated by our own self-interest rather than a desire to please God. I know that doesn't feel good to hear, but we love you enough to tell you the truth. And that is the truth that God's word teaches. That is the truth that David acknowledges in Psalm 51. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Here again, we're reminded that that God isn't just looking for outward conformity to his law. He demands inward purity as well. David knows how terribly he has missed the mark. His utter failure to obey God's righteous law because sin is in him. The gulf between verse five and verse six is huge and we are powerless to do anything about it in our own strength. So David cries out to the Lord, teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Do in me what I cannot. Change who I am from the inside out. This is the cry of genuine repentance. So all throughout this Lenten season, we want to be considering and asking God to roll away the stones in our lives. The stones that are getting in the way of the abundant life that is available to us in and through Christ. Hiding doesn't work, pretending doesn't work, hoping it will all go away doesn't work. When we hold on to our sin, for those stones were trapped, and God has given us the gift of repentance to set us free. Today, we want to spend some time asking, seeking, and knocking for the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts. He longs to reveal our sins to us, not simply to expose us, but to lead us to repentance, to forgiveness, healing, and restoration. So let's spend a few minutes in quietness before the Lord considering the stones that he longs to roll away.